Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I'm Chaplain McCary, and I'm here with a very special guest today, a chaplain that I first met uh, back in 2008 when I was attending my chaplain basic course, and our paths happened to cross again today at our endorser conference. Uh, Just by way of reminder, any opinions that we give here today are my own or that of my guest and do not reflect those of the United States Army. Would you go ahead and introduce yourself, give me your name, your current position, and your rank? Okay. Yeah, my name's uh, Dwayne Hughes. I'm presently um, actually in advanced civil schooling at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, We're attending Webster University, and the Army's been gracious enough to allow us to get another master's in marriage and family therapy to help the Army family. What did you do before you became an Army chaplain? Well, before, <clears throat> excuse me, before I was a chaplain, uh, actually I originally came into the United States Army in 1986 as an Army aviator. So I went to basic training Fort Leonard Wood, then they shot me down to uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama to attend uh, flight school uh, for helicopters. We uh, served as an Army aviator for about seven years, and God began to call us into ministry. And talking to our local pastor there, we decided to um, resign our commission and go to seminary. So we went to seminary up in Wake Forest at uh, Southeastern Seminary, and then from there we went and served in uh, mainland China. Uh, We ran a business there, but along with the business, we shared the gospel. So uh, before becoming a chaplain, uh, you served on active duty, and then were, so you were endorsed by the SBC um, before the chaplaincy, is that correct? Correct. I, I was with the International Mission Board. Okay. So we were endorsed by them. So how long uh, were you serving uh, with the IMB? Um, just shy of 13 years, we had actually uh, raised our children there uh, in Asia. We kind of moved around a little bit because of <clears throat> some different circumstances, but spent a little time in Malaysia while we still worked in uh, in the mainland and also some time in Thailand. Our kids were in high school uh, there, so we kind of lived in Thailand for a little while. I flew back and forth. Uh, as I did work in uh, in China. That's kind of how the ministry uh, there ran until uh, once again God began stirring our heart when we came back to the States on what we call furlough or like a break from the field. So so what happened there to as you're uh, on furlough and and God starts stirring you and and starts bringing you back towards the military. What happened there to, to bring that about? It, it, it was really amazing when, uh, Caleb, when we came home, God began to do a work in, in my heart because the surge was kicking off in 
in Iraq. And as I'd watched the news, God just broke my heart for the men and women who were being hurt, those being killed, their families back in the States, things like post-traumatic stress, uh, MTBI, things like that. And it's amazing because we were looking at a transition point in our career. We thought maybe we'd go to another field like India, something like that. But God began to stir us, and I wasn't sure because, you know, at that time, I had served seven years as an aviator and about 13 years on the mission field plus seminary time. So, you know, I had put like 20 years behind me serving the Lord. Uh, so I was like, man, I don't know about what's going on. And what was really amazing is one of my friends that I went to college with, he called me and uh, he said, Dwayne, what are you doing now? And I kind of told him, I said, Joe, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm a Navy chaplain. And he said, I've been looking for you for two years, and I just finally got a hold of you. So for me, even though it's a small thing, it was a confirmation that God was affirming our call to come back in. Um, and I like how the Army uh, phrases it, to uh, bring God to soldiers and soldiers to God. And So a recruiter, believe it or not, an Army chaplain recruiter, uh, contacted me about the same time and that was December that I started the paperwork and May 20th I raised my hand to come back in and serve America's sons and daughters as a, a North American Mission Board SBC endorsed chaplain. Now was that in uh, 2008? Yes right, it was. Right before, mm -hmm. uh, we, right started, before we met yeah. at chaplain school at Fort right, Jackson. Right. Um, how do you feel like your time as a missionary uh, helped prepare you for the chaplaincy? You know, I, I think there's, there's several uh, great things. I, I think the first one is just to know want. Hmm. You know, not to expect everything that we're used to having as comfortable Americans. So to live in need to live without internet, to um, not have a hot shower, not have a bathroom, you know, all those things that we take for granted. Mm. Uh, I, I think my walk as a, as a missionary really helped me transition into the chaplain life. And another thing too is just simply things like homesickness. You know, you, when you surrender to walk with Christ, you leave everything. Yeah, And so that was all part of the journey as we had already done that. So it, this wasn't different. It was just an extension of, I think, what God was preparing us for as we travel this journey with him. So what, is your, what does your family think as uh, you start looking at transitioning from, uh, from one mission field in, uh, with the IMB to the mission field of the chaplaincy. What, what, what are they thinking as you're getting ready to, to go through that process? Right. Well, we had uh, two sons at the time at Liberty University, and then our daughter was at Auburn. So, of course, we're, we're processing it, talking it with them. But, you know, our, our children were raised um, in an environment where we understand that uh, God is involved in the affairs of men, that he he talks to, he speaks to, he confirms his will in our lives. So as we began to share with our children that God was doing a new thing, 
um, they were in full support, knowing not only the need of our nation, but them knowing their dad and that he's only going to be obedient to the calling. They put me in God's care, and, you know, he's proved his faithfulness over and over again. So That's good. So you graduated um, from chaplain school with me, yeah, right. and uh, I went back to seminary, and you went straight on to active duty. Right. So uh, what was your first unit? So we got stationed at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord out near Seattle, Washington. Actually, I was with uh, 2nd ID, or 2nd Infantry Division, um, and I was with the uh, 4th Striker Brigade. But they put me in a great unit, uh, 212 Field Artillery. And it was amazing because I got there, even though we were Field Artillery, within eight months we were deploying to Iraq. So uh, the guys jokingly called it Infantillery because uh, they had to pick up all of their basic soldiering skills again because elections were coming up in Iraq and they sent us in to the Yamanat or uh, downtown Baghdad from... We were based from Nasser Wasalam to uh, Liberty on Victory Base Camp. We had guys over at uh, JSS Justice and then also in Muthana. So we had a couple artillery firing points, but uh, we, we had a great unit. Uh, we had an infantry striker company attached to us, and so our guys, even though we had a couple firing points for artillery, most of our guys were doing infantry work. So. My uh, battlefield rotation, my first year or two in uh, the chaplaincy was very hectic, but when the chaplain got off the truck or out of the helicopter, everybody was glad to see the chaplain. So you, uh, you went on that first deployment, uh, would that have been around 2009 then? Right. Uh -huh. yep. how, long, uh, how long were the deployments at that time? It was a year. A year. Right. We did a year, uh, just shy of a year. And uh, like I said, our guys were spread all over, so I, I maintained a pretty healthy battle rhythm, made sure I got out to uh, certain places. But the amazing thing, too, is um, I ran the Sunday morning contemporary Protestant service uh, on East Liberty. We had our A-lock there, which is a lot of our support offices. So... I would come back uh, usually Saturday night by truck, you know, helicopter, however we could get back and do the service in the morning. And, you know, it's just fantastic. A lot of places where we serve the Lord did services, um, you know, preach the gospel, were able to do counseling, walk guys through a lot of moral injury. It was, uh, it was amazing how we saw uh, God just touch lives during mm -hmm. that 12 months. So as you think back over your time as a chaplain, what would you say is the most physically challenging thing that you've experienced during your time as a chaplain? Right. Most physical? Wow, Caleb, that, that is a great question. You know, actually, as an older chaplain, coming in as an older guy, I think you and I were talking a little bit earlier about it. Uh, there's about 20 years that separate us in our uh, age. I, I, you know, when I... When I looked at some of these questions, I, I was truly thinking about the most physically challenging time as a chaplain. 
and my mind went back. I, I was actually later on with 4th Infantry Division out of Fort Carson. We had deployed to Afghanistan. And we were at FOB Fenty. The FOB had about 4,000 personnel on it. Uh, we had our brigade uh, all through uh, northeastern Afghanistan, and we took a lot of casualties. And so on our FOB, actually, we had um, our CASH, our Combat Support Hospital. So we had uh, our guys out on patrols. We would go with them. Uh, I worked for a brigade support battalion, so they were on the road hauling everything from beans to bullets to water. So being up all hours with them, uh, helicopters would come in with casualties, uh, uh, both wounded in KIA, and I made sure that I prayed with every wounded. Um, I prayed for the families of every KIA. And I remember one night just sitting on the edge of my bed and praying, saying, Lord, please, no, knock on the door tonight. I just need a good night's rest. And there were times um, during that that, you know, sleep was very uh, random because you think of running services, all the counseling, um, all the patrols with guys, plus I was flying or riding to other outposts to do services, plus, uh, you know, most of our fighting's at night. So all of, uh, you know, the missions that uh, had wounded or KIA that would come back, I would be there every time the helicopter landed for that. Uh, but I remember Isaiah forty thirty one, the promise, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And so... Um, you know, I, I really remember sitting down one night just exhausted and uh, just saying, Lord, I need, I need that strength. And a testimony to his faithfulness, I was renewed. Physically challenging, but I once again saw the faithfulness of God. So for you, it was just the that constant battle rhythm uh, of a deployment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Because you're the pastor for a lot of people. Yes. Yes. A lot of people. Well, what is the most spiritually challenging thing that you've experienced as a chaplain? You know, for me, it's the daily fight with the flesh. One thing I realized as a chaplain, and unfortunately I've seen this in others, is some, some chaplains feel that they have to be like their soldiers, to be accepted by their soldiers. But I found that uh, when chaplains are, they live a holy life, a separated life. Um, people are drawn to that. So for me, it's just been the day in and day out struggle of keeping under this flesh. You know, Romans 8.13 comes to mind. It says that if you, by the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. And for me, that's walking in the Spirit, hmm. is when those things come up into my mind or the choices that I have day in and day out, I bring every thought into obedience, uh, captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
And so that's been uh, my most spiritually challenging thing. I don't think it's even more so as a chaplain, but I realize that a lot of what goes on, you know, in interceding for commanders, sergeants, major, first sergeants, commanders, um, troops on the line, people out on the flot, um, that if my heart's not right before the Lord, then I'm doing America's sons and daughters a disservice. Hmm. I think, you know, just for me personally, that was one of the reasons what I, I was kind of drawn to you as a young 24-year-old second lieutenant in Chibolic. Here you were with a bunch of uh, 28, 29, 30-year-old guys and... Um, you know, I don't know if it was the, the maturity that came with age, um, but I always respected that uh, about you, and, and I appreciate you sharing that. So and this is always a, a question that, that generates some, uh, some tough responses. And I know uh, with all your uh, experiences and deployments, um, what would you say was your toughest day or event in the chaplaincy? Mm. Yeah, th this is probably going to be tough to get through. Um, so our, <clears throat> our, our service Sunday mornings in uh, Fab Fenty, uh, great service. Always had a packed house. Um, we we had a Air Force JTAC, um, DG Gray. Uh, he would always, <clears throat> at the end of the service, hug my neck and uh, he would say, "Thank you, Pastor." You know, most guys in the military they call their chaplains chaplain, but he called me Pastor. And uh, we had breakfast one morning, and there was that distinctiveness there of why he called me pastor. And that was because he realized that I was caring for their souls. And he saw that evident in God's presence and the services that were held. And two days later, uh, he with our brigade command team were uh, going to a key leader engagement and a suicide uh, bomber came out and opened his vest and killed uh, Major Gray, killed Major Kennedy, killed Sergeant Major Griffin and the interpreter besides wounding a lot of our guys. And so um, taking him from the helicopter into the place where we prepared um, to let him get back to his family. Just uh, yeah. knowing that he wasn't there, that he was home. Tough day. Yeah. Yeah. Tough day. 
What would you say was the most rewarding day or event for you in the chaplaincy? Hmm. Uh, without a doubt, uh, my oldest son, Josh, is in uh, Liberty University School of Divinity. I got to swear him in as a second lieutenant chaplain candidate. Um, he's actually serving with uh, USA KPOC there at Fort Bragg, so um, he's coming down when he does his drill monthly. I get to see he and his wife and our granddaughter, so uh, that's awesome. And so very rewarding seeing that uh, the legacy, not only of serving the Lord, but serving our nation is, uh, is evident in our family. And uh, Josh loves God, he, he loves people, he's articulate, he's smart, he's very musically talented. He is gonna make an absolutely amazing army chaplain. And already he has, uh, I, I think, divine favor, just in the unit that he's in, uh, the lives that he's touching, the things that he's been able to accomplish. So I really look forward to uh, to being able to follow his uh, career and see where God takes him as he uh, ministers uh, to soldiers and their families. Well, that's that's awesome to to be able to to have another Hughes in the in the chaplain yeah. corps. Yeah, pretty awesome. Well, you, as you think back over your years as a chaplain, what have you loved most about this vocation? Uh, Man, there's too many things, Caleb. There are absolutely just too many things. Uh, I, I think it's to um, laugh with the guys when they're laughing, to comfort them when they're broken. You know, one thing I learned is the army's full of all kinds of hua, but when somebody has a shrapnel or bullet wound or um, they're not sure of what's going on around them, without without a single incident, I, I think everybody's glad to see the chaplain. And it's not about me, but it's about what we bring to the fight. And what I love is our commanders know that. They, they know that if they have a chaplain who loves their soldiers, you, you have the ability to really affect a lot of lives. And so I just absolutely love that about being a chaplain. People are on the mountaintops, we get to do the chest button high fives. But when they're in the valley, we can help carry them a little bit. Mm. And I love that. Yeah. So what advice would you give if you're sitting here now, um, you know, eight and a half years out of chaplain school, uh, having, having lived some life as a chaplain, uh, if you had a, uh, an opportunity to address a brand new chaplain or a chaplain candidate, someone who's considering this vocation, what advice would you give them? Right. Hey, uh, a couple things I, I, I think, Caleb, is, you know, th this may be a little bit cliche, but um, 
really, I think as a chaplain, you're a special staff officer to the command. You have direct access to the commander. And don't let that, don't let that make you fearful like, well, he's a lieutenant colonel, he's a colonel, he's whatever rank. You are his special staff. And it's always been designed that way because you are the commander's confidant. You are the person that he can go to for um, spiritual guidance. Not only in, in the realm of, um, you know, religious leader engagements, but uh, local area analysis in, in dealing with uh, local religions in our area of operations or operating environment. But here's what I would say to young chaplains, um, and this is kind of cliche, work like it all depended on you and pray like it all depended on God. When we were in Chibolic, I don't know if you remember, uh, Chaplain Austin came in and he said, guys, the Army's got enough hua. What they need is some compassion. And that stuck with me. And so that's what I took. Um, you know, I knew the Army thing because I was an aviator. But the chaplain thing I was still figuring out. And so when in doubt, I showed compassion. And that hasn't failed me. One thing I would advise young chaplains is when you get to your unit, you have that access. Every day before I went home, I'd always knock on the colonel's door and my sergeant majors. Say, hey, sir, before I head home for the day, uh, anything you need from your chaplain. And Caleb, you'd be surprised how many times colonels close their doors and just wanted to talk. And again, that's not me. That's, um, that's our office. We, we stand on the shoulders of a lot of people who went before us. And the legacy and the testimony of the chaplain corps allows that. So I believe we have to uphold that with the highest integrity, right? Another thing for young chaplains is, you know, when I started out, we do um, uh, staff work, uh, working through op orders, planning. And I'd come in and guys would be like, Chaplain, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'd be like, because I have a seat at the table. You know, I, I have input. This is, this is very important. And actually, I've seen it played out in JRTC. I've seen it played out at NTC. I've seen it played out in Iraq and Afghanistan that the chaplain brings a lot to the fight. Certain holidays, the way people react to certain things that are only known on a religious level. And since we know the terminology, we can do the study, we can bring um, the appropriate staff work and it helps our commanders succeed in their mission. And so I would say to young chaplains, do the tough staff work get in there and crunch the work with uh, the battalion or brigade staff. Because here's another thing too, when you're sitting at the table, you get to speak into the lives of other staff officers. Because no matter what rank, um, people's lives still get hit by curveballs every now and then. And it's good to have that, uh, that relationship. So sit at the table. What did you do 
um, or what did you find helpful in maintaining that balance between uh, pastoral and and the staff? Because I think sometimes it's a challenge for chaplains. Who might, you might have some chaplains who feel more pulled towards the staff, some who feel more pulled toward the pastoral. Uh, what did you do to strike that balance uh, between the two so that one wasn't neglected? Right. Well, I, I think it's easier uh, based on your giftings to lean one way or the other. And again, uh, for me, it's all about time. You know, you have your working groups uh, when you're doing staff work. Um, there's breaks from that. There's times when the three is putting products together that you have some downtime. It's easy to just go back to your office and check email, but spend time with soldiers. Because if you're doing um, good staff work and the, the organization is putting out op orders, it's because missions are coming up. And usually they're, they're pretty significant, whether it's on your particular post or you're going to a um, training area or you're going to deploy. So you need to spend that time with soldiers so you have those relationships before you deploy because once you go, it's too busy mm -hmm. to try to make those. Absolutely. Well, Dwayne, as you uh, look down the road, what do you see are some of the biggest challenges that are facing uh, the chaplaincy and chaplains in the future? Yeah, and, and you know, Caleb, that's an that's a excellent question. And, and two things that um, I, I see are meeting the needs of smaller operational or joint forces in more remote places. You know, we're, we're not looking, even though the possibility is there, we're, we're not focusing right now on conventional type warfare. But most of ours in uh, GWAT is focused on smaller uh, joint forces that are working together in, in smaller missions. For example, um, our middle son is uh, he's with special forces in, in one of the branches, and he's in northern Iraq right now uh, on an offensive, and it was great to hear that his chaplain came in and spent some time with them before they went out. So just logistically, how do we as chaplains move about the battlefield to provide adequate religious support, not only to those of our own particular de denomination, but, um, you know, in the pluralistic environment that we work in, how do we meet the needs? We need to do the staff work to uh, find out when I'm going to a particular combat outpost, uh, where I'm going, what uh, the religious preferences, or even no preferences, uh, of soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, or even uh, other NATO forces that may be present. But uh, how do we go out there and meet those needs in those very remote places? Hmm. And so I, I see that as a, as a challenge for our core, as for new chaplains. But then also the other thing that I think is very important for chaplains is just understanding millennials and what they're bringing to the fight, how they operate within a um, both a garrison and a deployed environment, how media is very important for them. So if they're in, a, in an environment that doesn't have media, uh, 
just simple things like internet, cell phone, where they can, uh, you know, interact with their peers like that. Uh, I think that can affect uh, our warfighter. You know, I've done, uh, there's a great book out called Generation Me. I've done several um, uh, staff uh, briefings on what they can do as uh, commanders, as sergeant majors to understand the generation that is now filling our ranks. And, uh, you know, we as chaplains, again, we have a, a lot to bring to the fight as we not only understand religion, but we should understand its cultural context and how much more so as we have a shifting and changing culture, a uh, very pluralistic culture, what do all these different men and women that are coming into our armed forces bring to the fight for our commander? So if we understand that, we can speak with uh, intelligence and knowledge to our commanders. I think that's going to help uh, not only our warfighters, but our commanders as they try to seek and accomplish our mission. It's interesting because you mentioned uh, checking the religious preference and seeing those who have no religious preference. Right. And one of the conversations that's ongoing in, in the chaplaincy is that there are more of those now mm -hmm. than there have been in the past. What do you think the the role of the chaplain is in ministering to those who say, well, I, I just don't have any religious preference? Right, right. You know, what, what I have found, and this is personal experience, is a lot of times it's just personal connection. Somebody may not have a, a religious pre preference, but everybody loves human connection. You know, when a buddy is just lost to a IED, to be able to sit down and just cry with them. Uh, when they get promoted, to be there and, you know, hug their neck and give them a firm handshake and say, man, you, you work so hard, congratulations uh, on the hard work. It's well-deserved. I, I think a lot of that's just human interaction. And many times... Um, others are so wrapped up in what they're trying to accomplish uh, as far as uh, a particular aspect about their MOS or their job. The chaplain has that freedom uh, based on your relationship, again, as a special staff officer with the commander, to move in and out of the lives of his soldiers, to know their needs, to advise command what the morale of his soldiers is like, both in garrison and in combat. So I, I think just in our human condition, we walk besides people even without faith, hmm. um, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to rejoice with them, um, sometimes even just to get angry with them and say, yeah, that's not fair. How do I help you get through this? I think that ties into what you said earlier about the Army needing more compassion right. and that it doesn't matter um, what your religious preference is or if you have a religious preference but to be able to make that human connection right. yeah. um, to show that compassion to another human being is such a, a vital piece of, of what we do right yeah, yeah. 
Great. Well, Dwayne, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. And it, w it just brought a smile to my face when I heard that you and your wife were going to be here at this conference and that after eight and a half years, uh, I was going to get to uh, shake your hand again, hug your neck, and, uh, and just reconnect with you and your wife. And, and it's been a joy to be able to do that. Uh, and to be able to visit with you face to face and not right, just over right. Facebook like right. we have for the last right. eight years. Right. Yeah, it's been wonderful seeing you and Laura and your family's growing. It's a joy to see that and all those pictures and uh, uh, know that it's a fantastic phase of life. So I rejoice with you in that and our friendship. Well, thank you, Dwayne, and thank you for listening to Chaplin Stories. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by searching for Chaplin Stories, and we'll look forward to another Chaplin Story the next time. We're marching on our way, soldiers of God, we serve him faithfully. Thunder and flame, wherever the 